You're in the water loop. Waterloop is a nonprofit media outlet made possible in part by a grant from Springpoint Partners. This is Waterloop episode number 133, A Mindset of Public Service. The water industry functions better when the workforce has a diverse blend of backgrounds and perspectives. This includes having individuals that bring experience in public administration and a mindset of service to others. In this episode, Amanda Jones, founder of Women in Water, discusses how her journey in government and focus on helping people were beneficial at the Water Department in Marana, Arizona. Amanda talks about applying public administration skills at a water utility, making customer service more about assisting the community, why affordability is a forefront issue, and launching an organization to support women in water. You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis, joined for this episode by Amanda Jones, founder of Women in Water. Amanda, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Travis. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we've had uh, a little bit of conversation beforehand and, and a couple weeks ago, and so I'm excited to I've excited to hear about your journey and then share it with other people. Got a lot of great stories and experiences and perspective. Um, one of the things that we talk about in water all the time, this kind of question is like, did you find water or did water find you? And I think I was pretty struck by your story that, that it seems that water found you. Um, totally. But I think that everything you did before water found you um, helped you become really impactful in water. Um, and I'd love to sh- hear about your journey um, and why I think that's the case. Sure. Uh, It's a bit of a circuitous journey to get to the water (laughs) world, for sure. Um, But you're absolutely right. I fell into waters never where I thought I was going to be. When I was a little kid, I was sure I wanted to be president of the United States. I quickly grew out of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I knew that government was the place for me. I knew that I wanted to find a way to be impactful in my communities. And then it took me some years through undergraduate and graduate programs to figure out which which place I wanted to be. And I landed in local government after I finished um, a study abroad in living in Russia for a little while and um, realizing that the the international world was not where I wanted to be. Um, But I knew I still wanted to make an impact. Um, And there's no better impact than local government, being able to see the pothole you repaired, being able to Make sure you see the sidewalks installed in a neighborhood that didn't have them, and and turning their water on and off um, is no more impact, no more direct than uh, impact than that. So, I've been pretty excited to see how to find that impact um, throughout my journey. But water is always going to be um, in my heart and where I will see myself moving forward because you cannot be impactful um, without talking about water. People need it every day. I think the pandemic was a very big uh, eye-opener for folks of, of the need of water. We always talk about how we get ignored a lot of the time until something doesn't happen, right? The water doesn't turn on, there's something smelly or brown or whatever the case may be. Uh, But really having the conversation of we need to keep our hands clean, we need to be able to wash clothing so that we can stay healthy was kind of a a silver lining or a bittersweet moment for the water utilities, I think, to say, hey, we are as impactful as anyone else 
in the public health world. And I loved being on the front lines of that. Um, so I landed in the water department in about in 2014, was there for about eight years, and I'm going to continue on that that journey wherever it takes me in the water world. Yeah. So that that transition time, what were you doing in government before you, you know, specifically went into water? And where were you? Where were you? Yeah. So I worked for the town of Marana, which is uh, northwest of the city of Tucson in southern Arizona. Um, I was snatched up gratefully right out of graduate school to work in the town manager's office. I was there for about two and a half years and really figured out how to talk to the community, engage with the community, was able to establish uh, in conjunction with the town manager and deputy a new citizen advisory group. Uh, So really finding ways to hear from the community uh, was one of the first things that I was responsible for. And then just kind of and worked on some strategic planning and then kind of got plugged into different places across the town where they needed support. So the clerk's office, tech services. And then I stumbled into water because they had some some staffing changes and they needed some support. So I you know, have a background in local government. I have a background in public management, financial management. So I just offered to help, and it it struck me how quickly um, we in the water department had relationships with our community, which is what I was looking for. And again, just being able to have that direct impact of if somebody's water's on or off is there's nothing more more impactful than that. Yeah. So, how did your experience, you know, in local government, which the water was part, the department was part of, but you know, in the broader local government entity, there, how did that help you work in the water department? I think there's a lot of really great things you learn when you go to government school, as I jokingly call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, about government school, I, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> about how you engage with communities, how you think about finances, and. You know, we operate a lot of water, water departments operate as enterprise systems. So essentially all my nonprofit management education was leading me to be a great leader in the financial portion of the water uh, enterprise management. We are not in the business of making money, but we are in the business of providing service. So being able to have that kind of mindset of, of how we collect money, how we think about rates, how we think about what we really need to operate was something that I really was able to capitalize on when I came over to the water department. And then I think the other is just the general altruistic nature of wanting to be in government. You know, no one goes, there's some adage of no one goes into government for the money, right? So (laughs) we want to, I wanted to be there to, to support, um, you know, the community. And, you know, we, we have a lot of, of, uh, experiences when we're going through our, our kind of undergraduate and graduate programming, which is where my government bug really stuck, uh, looking at what is best practices, what's process improvement, and all of those things can be tied directly into to the water in any industry, really. Um, but we, particularly in water, have such a finite pool of resources, both on the water side, especially, um, but also financial and staff. And so being able to I capitalize on how I how I learned about process improvement, how I was able to bring consensus to groups. Um, all of those kinds of things were were directly tied to to my government experience, and then was happy to bring that to water because we have a lot of really wonderful people in the community in the water industry, but not a lot of government folks that come from a government background. They may have engineering degrees or finance degrees, but I think my government specific experience really has helped me 
thrive in the community and find a really special place to to help in the sector. You know, I just want to go back to you calling it government school. Um, <laughs> and, and you just talked about things, you know, you learn it working in government that, that carry over and help in a water department. Um, what what do you learn at government school? <laughs> what, what's what, what's the focus of, of that stuff that, that helps you, you know, in, in uh, working in government and then working in water? Sure. I first should give a shout out to the University of Arizona, which is where I went to government school. So bear down. Um, <laughs> it's so we learned a lot about um, being good stewards of our, our, our residents or ratepayer money. We learn about financial management when a general fund versus enterprise management, um, a lot of kind of fiscal responsibility type uh, lessons. Um, also learn a lot about how to engage in the community. How do you talk to folks um, of all types of backgrounds across your, your community so that you have that engagement that makes your solution that much stronger. Uh, we also have a lot of discussion about process improvement and organizational management. What how to get the right people in the right seats on the right bus are all things that that we talk about and we we engage with and I certainly use every day in my in my experience um, and my current roles. I think the other thing we lurk we we think a lot about is how we support each other and cross jurisdictionally. So I am usually the only public administrator in a conversation uh, at water events or in, in my, my utility. Um, but there's how to talk to engineers, how to talk to contractors, how to talk to customer service staff. I mean, those are all things that, that we learn so that we can gain consensus as we're trying to establish best practices or new, new offerings or new programming. Hmm. What's the, so it's it's not like the Department of Government School. What 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 is it officially like? <laughs> Department of uh, Public Administration or something yep. like that? Or yeah. Like, so I have a master's in public administration public from administration. the okay. yeah from the School of Government and Public Policy at the University of Arizona. So go. if anyone's government looking school. for. Government school is so much shorter. School. Yeah, totally. Sounds, sounds yeah, good. it's what it's what it's about. <laughs> I think so. Um, when we talked before, you know, about what you, what your work was at, uh, at the water department, um, you talked a lot about working in customer service, um, mm -hmm. and taking a stance of helping people. That seems like that's what customer service is, but unfortunately, no, that's not always, you know, mm -hmm. the case. Customer service departments aren't always just focused on that helping, even though it should be. Um, mm -hmm. Your thoughts on that not always being the case, and then how you brought that mindset to your work? Sure. So I think about customer service in two ways. Um, we certainly are there to help any customer that needs assistance for whatever that might be. So that's paying their bill, starting new service, disconnecting service, you know, some of the traditional things that you think about. But customer service is also the voice of your utility. They're the people that are reaching out and talking to your community, talking to your ratepayers every month. They we knew people by name. We knew their family. We knew their, you know, their granddaughter had a baby or whatever those those things may be. We are the tie to the community. And I think that that gets left behind a lot. And that was, again, seen in such a huge microscope under in the pandemic. They were the they were frontline folks, just like our operators were out turning valves and making sure the system was running. Our customer service staff was there working hard, 
making arrangements with customers who had lost their jobs or had lost a loved one. I mean, these are things that are looked over and taken for granted. And something I'm really excited about is I live in the state of Arizona and we are building a brand new customer service award as a reflection of things that that have been seen throughout the pandemic period. And it's long overdue, of course, but mm. it's a way to kind of think about customer service, not just this person on the end of the phone, but somebody who knows the utility inside and out and has that relationship with the customer. There are amazing customer service staff all over the country. If you're interested in joining any of those committees, give me a call. I'm happy to connect you. <laughs> uh, but it's something that's that's overlooked and, and I'm so excited that it's beginning to be seen in the forefront of the water sector. Mm. Um, one of the big issues you just kind of touched on is, is affordability, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, water, water bill is a decent bill that comes to a household every month. Uh, a lot of water bills are going up as the, the price, the cost of water, water rates go up, sure. uh, as, and also as just the cost of living overall you know, goes up. It's not just mm -hmm. that water bills are rising. It's that uh, the cost of living is going up and we've got, you know, even the past couple of years have inflation and all this stuff. Um, your thoughts on why affordability has become such a forefront issue. Um, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, we've talked about affordability for a very long time as a sector there is a, a conversation every year, I promise, in every utility across the country about how you're balancing what rates you need to charge versus what service you need to provide. And at the end of the day, we're a cost of service business. We need to collect rates for the needs of our system to ensure we have safe, reliable drinking water and we take away wastewater and treat it appropriately. So those are that's the basis of what we talk about. But there are a lot of really creative ways to engage in that affordability conversation. Do you look at different tiered rate structures? Do you look at the way that your volumetric charge versus your flat fee is organized so that the impact to a leak or an unintended water use is not as high? So there's so there's those kinds of things that are operational that we can have a conversation about as a utility and there are, as an industry, and there are a lot of people that are doing that. But we also really need to talk about flexibility. We have standard, rigid, old systems that do not allow for, you know, two days to pay your bill after their due date without getting disconnected or understanding that not everybody's economic situation is the same every month. And that day, that hard and fast date isn't reasonable all the time. So those kinds of things are easy to do. And it just has to take some some energy and some some wherewithal behind it to say, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and let Travis pay on the 10th, even though his bills due on the 8th, because it's easier for us as a utility to not track somebody down and not disconnect somebody. But also it gives you the goodwill of Travis now being able to maintain that that service and not worry about his water bill for 30 days. So there's some there's compassion and some human humanity that we can bring into the conversation that's coupled with that cost of service analysis that we have to do as well. I think there are a lot of really smart people working on this and I'm happy to even be in the room with them most <laughs> of the time. Uh, but it's something that is, is certainly at the forefront. It's not going to go away. This is one of the first times ever that there has been federal money allocated for water bill assistance. So looking at the LIWAP program, 
some of the cities that used some of their CARES money to offset balances that had been accruing when they suspended disconnections. Those are all innovative and cool ways that utilities can can support those that are really in need. Hmm. Yeah, great. Uh, great to talk about some of those kind of current developments and affordability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to make it seem like you have a crystal ball that you can just pull out. <laughs> but where do you think that this kind of affordability, you know, go, issue goes over the next couple of years? You know, you've got these different federal funds that have kind of come mm-hmm. in and help. Um, we've had the pandemic the past two years now. Um, and that's still evolving. Um, the sector is looking at this very closely and, and kind of changing some of their practices, just kind of like any, any speculation as to where things might go or what affordability management might look like in a couple years. Sure. So the uh, attorney training in me says it depends. Um, <laughs> but I think there's a few things that we can think about for sure. I think this, the, the opportunity that has been provided from the LIWAP program, the Low Income Household Water Assistance Program, um, is really exciting. We have to make sure that it is administered appropriately and well. And I think that means all of our states, our state agencies reaching out to utilities, talking to utilities, seeing how they're going to be able to apply those, those funds in a way that's going to get the direct help that it's intended to, because if it does work well, the hope is that there's this approved EPA assistance program in the infrastructure bill, but the funding is in other other bills and other ways. So ensuring that the LIWAP program is a success can then ensure additional federal funding uh, over time and and in perpetuity. So I think that's really important. Mm I think the other thing to think about is we have a lot of money allocated from the current administration for state revolving funds, which means there are low income or low uh, interest borrowing open to utilities, which can reduce the need of increasing rates for capital investment. Certainly, you have to pay back debt service, certainly you have to pay for engineering services, but it also alleviates some of those pressures and those levers that cause those rates to increase. So seeing those types of investments at the federal level has to continue. We invest in bridges, we invest in roads, and those things are certainly important, but it's really exciting to be a part of the conversation now that they're investing in water utilities, both in the affordability world and in the infrastructure world, because those two things are tied together. The less you have to raise rates to pay for infrastructure, consent decrees, operational management, the more you have the flexibility to provide affordable rates for your customers. Yeah, fantastic points. Uh, I mentioned from the very beginning that you are the founder of Women in Water. So let's transition to that. Tell, Tell me about this organization. Totally. So I jokingly, so I, I created this in 2020, jokingly because I'm selfish and want to hang out with my friends. Uh, <laughs> it was purely in response to feeling isolated um, in my house, just like we all were for a good portion of 2020 and today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 systemic of what I've seen in my eight years in the industry. I tend to be the only woman in a room a lot of the time. I tend to be the only non-engineer in the room a lot of the time. And I felt overshadowed. I felt like I couldn't use my voice. I felt like I couldn't be represented and heard. And if anything, I'm aggressively friendly and outgoing. And so I wanted to find ways to use those skills to lift up others, to give them a voice, to give them a space to be heard, to feel comfortable, to build a network. So we are 
not technical in any way other than all of us are connected to the water industry. And it is women with the inclusive language so that anyone who identifies as a woman in the water industry is welcome to join us. We have mostly uh, social and professional development offerings, and we meet twice a month and talk about whatever we want to talk about, books, podcasts, TV. It's a break in our, our daily grind so that we can get to know each other, so that I can feel comfortable reaching out to someone I'd never met before in person and asking them, of, and asking them some support or some guidance, advice about something I was that was happening in my professional life. Um, so we really are established to feel that you exist, feel powerful in your existence, to feel like you have the ability and the support behind you to take up space. Uh, so you can take the social and connected connectiveness that we provide at Women in Water into your professional and personal lives, however you feel appropriate. No, that's good stuff. Um, how do you see the water sector changing when it comes to that male-female mm -hmm. ratio? You know, sure. um, I... I it's clear there's still a long way to go. Um, it seems that it has made some strides in recent years. I just mm -hmm. kind of um, would love your, your take on that. Totally. I think that you're absolutely right. We have made some strides. We certainly have a long way to go. Yep. Um, I think it, it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg is how many women on the court is enough. And her answer is nine. So <laughs> I would say as many women as we can in leadership positions is the answer. Uh, we have certainly been graduating more women engineers into the water sector than ever before, but we have not seen that transition into women in leadership in the water sector. So anyone, I feel like I'm in a position in my career that I now have the responsibility to, to support anybody coming behind me. So lifting people up, I think we can do that for each other regardless, you know, women, men, non-binary, whatever in the water industry, we have that responsibility to come and say, come with me, follow me, I'm going to help you do whatever we need to do. So just generally having some allyship across this sector is going to be really helpful. But also just recognizing in the world or in your, your boardroom, whatever that might be, someone's missing from the table. And just having that awareness is the first step. And I think we're getting much better as an industry of recognizing that and saying, and I think we have a lot of work to do to then identify how we bring them to the table and who's the right person to bring to the table. Um, and I would love to have those conversations with whoever is, is interested. Well, you know, as I do these podcasts, I, you know, kind of when they wrap up, I'm, I start thinking about the, the short description that I have to put together and then the title, you know, and the thing that emerged for me from you is like just, you know, this theme of helping and, mm -hmm. and helping people. Um, and you, you know, talk about that being in government, you talk about that being at the water department, um, being in customer service, um, helping with affordability, helping, uh, you know, women in the water sector lift up. And um, so that's just letting you know, the preview, <laughs> uh, that that's kind of what, you know, the title of this and the description is going to revolve around. And that's what I enjoy uh, about uh, talking to you and sharing this conversation with others is like, it's great to, to meet people who are focused on helping others uh, and to share that, those stories. So I appreciate it so much. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. And I don't think there's a better compliment of a way to be described than wanting to help others. So I'm yeah. very, very grateful and very humble for that, for awesome. that uh, title. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the conversation. Take care. Thanks so much, Travis. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to this episode. And thanks again to Springpoint Partners for grant funding. Remember, you can support the Waterloop nonprofit media outlet at patreon.com slash the Waterloop. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.